Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of The Hopeful Majority. My name is Manu Meal, and today we have on GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. The GOP debate is in two days, and so I thought... I listened to a lot of folks. I asked folks that listen to the hopeful majority. And I said, hey, who do we want? And folks wanted presidential candidates. And so we've got one of the leading contenders on the GOP side. And we have an honest, productive dialogue for all the new people joining. We drop content and episodes every Monday because we want to have these conversations where we're fighting outrage, building nuance. We're having honest, productive dialogues. Now, usually... Our show has a monologue where I talk a little bit about the topic we're about to speak on, and then we bring on a great guest to actually have that conversation. Today's going to be a little bit different. I just want to leave you with three quick things, and then you and I are going to jump right into that conversation with Vivek. First, we do not have any endorsements. Again, the goal of the show when we bring on presidential candidates, when we bring on political leaders, people with really interesting ideas, it's not to signal support for those ideas. It's merely to have that dialogue because I don't think these productive dialogues across lines of difference are happening enough. And I frankly think that most people like us want those dialogues. And so that's the objective. And I especially wanted to make that clear because a lot of new folks are coming on board and we want to have those dialogues with you. The second thing I'll say is people on X and Twitter are not going to like this conversation because we don't get into the hot button culture war issues. We don't get into what Vivek's position is on gender ideology or free speech or the latest X brawl, because I actually think that most people in the country are not so much interested in the culture war concepts and problems. And I think instead, they just want our leaders to put country above party. They want leaders to solve problems. And so what is the objective of this conversation? It's to actually try and understand who is Vivek? What drives him? Why does he care? I think those are the questions that people really care about because then that helps us understand their policy positions. And so if you're interested in the policy side of Vivek, there's a lot of great conversations for that. This one is entering and fighting and filling the missing ingredient in our discourse, which is trying to understand the actual motivations behind our leaders. And finally, I'll say that this conversation was difficult. I think it's a fantastic conversation. It's 20 minutes. We really get into a lot of stuff. And I ask some pretty honest, blunt questions that a lot of you have suggested that I ask. And yet at the same time, I'll be honest, this is the first time I had the opportunity on air to actually have a conversation with a high-profile presidential candidate. So I'm always trying to get better. 20 minutes is difficult to get behind a talented political figure like Vivek because I think a lot of talented folks know what to say and how to meet people where they are. I think I could have pushed back on some things like his claims that he is the best person to deliver unity. But I still think this is very productive because I think it clearly outlines and articulates what he cares about, why he's there, and we're going to have more candidates on in the future. I need your support because you and I are building this hopeful majority. Most people in the country want us to build a world in which we're fighting outrage and standing up for nuanced dialogue so we can actually solve our problems. And with that, I'll see you on the other side. Here's the conversation with Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy, welcome to The Hopeful Majority, sir. It's good to be on. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I have to say that, you know, I started tracking your candidacy before it became quote unquote cool. I saw your launch video in February on Twitter. And of course, with the hopeful majority with our work with Bridge USA, uh, we don't do anything in terms of candidates. But what we do do is we focus on people that are passionate about productive discourse. And so it's been a roller coaster for you over the last, I would say, six, seven months. And it seems like the GOP debate was a real inflection point. It was. I, I, <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Bless you. Enjoyed. Uh, I'm so allergic to partisan politics that <laughs> I, I know you. You, you joined the hopeful majority. You're like sneezing away all your pessimism. No, exactly, exactly. I think uh, 
I'm an outsider to partisan politics, and the reality is that makes some of the process feel <laughs> rather laughable, and some of it's kind of annoying. But it also highlights for me even more why I think we need more outsiders in politics. There's something about being in this world. I can imagine, I've seen what it looks like for six months, but imagine if you're in this world for a decade or two, sure. I think it hollows you out a little bit inside. And I think it's important that we, we need more of is people who come from the outside, do their service, go back to the outside. That's the civic lifeblood that I want to revive. And yeah. I do think that uniting the country is not as impossible or even as difficult as we make it out to be if we're reviving some of those shared principles that I'm incredibly passionate about. And so that's what guides me in this. And, and I think it's going to guide us to success. So let me ask you this, you know, uh, and, and for the audience, and I've already provided this context, but this is not going to be a conversation on policy specifics. I think you can go through so many other interviews to yeah. get that. I think I don't think this is going to be a conversation about Trump even, because I think, frankly, the American people, people in the hopeful majority, people out there are looking for leadership. And so I really want to get mm -hmm. to you as a person, because I think that's something that people are looking for. They, as you say, they've got that hole, they've got that void, and we need good leadership to fill that. So you've talked about unity. You've talked about how that's a differentiating factor for you from the rest of the field that you think you can deliver that. What does unity mean to you? Because I think one of the things that you and I probably agree on is it's not some kumbaya, let's hold hands, you know, like let's feed each other broccoli. It's, it's, it's something more. Um, so what does unity mean to you? Yeah, so unity means to me not that we agree on everything, but that we still have certain foundational values that we share in common, okay? Mm -hmm. So- Corporate tax rates being high or low, we might go vehemently at it. Even abortion or pro-life, pro-choice, I bear no illusion that this is not going to, in the near term, be a unifying issue. But what about those basic rules of the road that are symbolized in that flag behind me, right? Meritocracy. Do we believe that we're a country where no matter who you are or where your parents came from or what your skin color is or what your own political beliefs are, that you can get ahead? based on your own hard work, your own commitment, your own dedication? Do we believe in the pursuit of excellence? Do we believe in your and my right to have different opinions on questions and that you get to speak your mind as long as I get to in return? Do we believe that we the people create a government that's accountable to us rather than the other way around? I think if we agree on those basic principles, the way I look at it is we're fundamentally on the same team could debate whether ivermectin treats COVID. You could debate tax rates being high or low. Those are details. But we agree on the basic rules of the road. And that's why I think we already have a measure of national unity. We just have to open our eyes to actually see it. It's not going to be easy, but it's a big part of the role I'm playing in hopefully leading this country. So I think one of the things that's coming up there is, is the notion of values, right? And I think yes. you've talked a lot about those similar values. And chances are, honestly, Vivek, that if you went out, uh, you and I, I mean, I travel the road, you travel at like hyper speed to what I do, mm -hmm. but it seems like those values are, are across the board there. But here's my question when it comes to leadership. You know, a lot of young people like myself, people that, you know, can, can get out there and can advocate, we're often told, you know, hey, you should think about office, you should think about leadership. And the question that I often think about is like, have I earned the right to lead? Because I think that's a really important thing. Like, I think we have to earn that right to lead this great country. And so the question I have for you is, do you feel like you've earned that right? And, and if so, why do you think so? So 
I think of it a little bit differently. Um, mm. I don't think anybody has a right to lead. Mm. I think we may have duties to each play our own part in reviving a country. And so I'm called not by asking somebody for putting me in the privilege of being the U.S. president. I don't view it as a privilege. I view it as a responsibility. I don't relish the idea of being. I think that's a better word that responsibility. I think that's a better word. Responsibility, yeah. So, so what allows me to bear that responsibility, I think, is the question. And why, sure. why do I have what it takes to bear that responsibility? Well, I think the first thing is we've got to approach it with humility. There's a lot of things that everyone approaching U.S. president, including someone like me coming as an outsider businessman who's coming in from the outside, that you, know, you have to acknowledge what you don't know. I think humility is the first ingredient. I also think, though, that I have built my entire career taking on bureaucracies. I took on the bureaucracy of big pharma. I took on and built a multi-billion dollar biotech business in the process. I took on the bureaucracy of the ESG industrial complex in this country, built a competitor, Strive, to the likes of BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard that use everyday citizens' money to advance political agendas. I said, we're doing this differently. And so I could give you other examples too, but my entire career has been all about taking on bureaucracies. There's many different people who may come to the presidency with different visions of what they want to accomplish. And no one president in four years or eight years is going to accomplish everything that needs to be done. But you set priorities and you go in and accomplish those. For me, the top of the list of my priority agenda for leading this country forward is to dismantle the bureaucracy of the federal government itself. And Those just really quickly for, for, for our listeners, what about the federal government? I was just at Monticello two weeks ago, and and I feel like yeah. you're similar in this way where I love to spend time with um, in the places of history, especially in the United States. I feel like it's refreshing. It's energizing. What do you think is particularly corrosive about the federal bureaucracy? Why do you think of all the things you could do? And for all the young people listening, like, you know, a lot of them have all these different issues. Why the bureaucracy? Why is that such an important thing for you? So two reasons. One is it's a violation of the way our country was and is supposed to work. Our constitution says there are three co-equal branches, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. Well, right now there's a fourth branch, that administrative state, those three-letter agencies, the SEC, the FDA, the FTC, and so on. We could go on, the EPA, that are actually making the laws enforcing the laws, and in many cases, acting as the judge of those laws as well. Hmm. That's a perversion of how our constitutional republic is supposed to work with separation of powers. So it's a violation of what this country was built on. It creates a new kind of monarchy in a country that's supposed to be a constitutional republic subject to democratic processes. There's a more practical answer to this too. The source of regulations in this country, many of which act like a wet blanket on the U.S. economy, come from that bureaucracy, that administrative state, the regulatory state. We're suffering economic stagnation now in this country. Mm. We haven't enjoyed GDP growth like we did in the latter half of the 20th century at any point, really, in much of the 21st century. And a big part of the reason is the cancerous proliferation of that administrative state. And so, yes, I'm going in with a clear agenda and a clear vision of how to not just incrementally reform that by tinkering around the edges, but to get in there and shut it down. Hmm. And I think that that's going to at once revive the integrity and the lifeblood of our constitutional republic, but also revive 
our economy itself. And you know what? People tend to be more proud of a country when we're all making more money in that country. And that happens hand in glove with actually reviving the essence of how the Republic was supposed to work in the first place. So I've got a, I've got a thought experiment for you. And these thought experiments are, I know, always dangerous to have, but it's July 17th. You just got, you, you, you achieved an amazing feat by uh, standards of many conservatives, and you now have the Republican nomination. Now you're talking to the general election voter. I know that's a big leap ahead, but I'm very curious about this because this has to be on your mind. I know that. Um, You're talking to a general election voter, and they say, well, you know, I heard Vivek say that, you know, climate change is a hoax at the GOP debate, right? You know that that clip is going to be played. Or they say that, you know, um, Vivek said this about uh, race-based shootings in the United States. Talk to me as if I'm a general election voter and I am just looking for somebody to say, not only is the United States going to be okay, but as you say, we're running to something and that's a vision of victory. Yes. Talk to me in that way, given the skepticism that I hold right now. Sure. So, so the first thing I would say is as basic table stakes, we don't have to agree on everything. I think that's the beauty of this country. And the president is more than just a giant policy binder. Part of the way you lead this country is with a national character. And so here's the standard that I want you to hold me to. And the standard I will aspire to hold myself to. I want to look my two sons in the eye and tell them in good conscience, without wincing, without holding my nose, and kids are smart. They know when you're lying to them. I want to tell them in good conscience, and I want every parent in this country to be able to tell their kids in good conscience that I want you to grow up and be like him whoever that is in the White House, right? whether or not I agree with him on, on 100% of the policies, that I aspire for my son and my daughter to grow up and be like whoever it is that we the people have put in charge of being the person who symbolizes this nation on the global stage and who represents us and leads us and reunites us. Policies to one side that much, I will say is a standard that I will at least commit to giving it my level best to live up to. And I think that's more than we might be able to say for a lot of presidents we've had over our lifetime, yours and mine both. Now, beyond that, let's talk about policy. We don't have to agree on everything, but I think we may agree on more than you suspect. I actually didn't say particularly climate change is a hoax. I said the climate agenda, the climate change agenda is a hoax. And I believe it is because more people today, and this is provable, are dying of climate change policies that restrict access to fossil fuels than those who are dying of climate change itself. So that at least should be, you could debate whether that should change the policies, but it's at least a relevant input, right? And and if I'm the only person talking about it, do you think that's adding something valuable to the conversation or not? Human life matters. We agree on that. And so then we're able to get into the facts of how many people are dying of climate-related disasters today versus a century ago. Turns out it's down by 98%. Well, that's interesting. Why? Not because we have fewer climate disasters, but because fewer people are dying of them because we have buildings and technological advances powered by fossil fuels. And so we get into it from there is what I would say. Well, let me, let's, I mean, we would have that conversation. I think you'll have that conversation much more and more. And I think people can go to a lot of other conversations to get there. But here are my last two things that I, I want to yeah. run by you because I want to hold you to that stand for a second. And and that's what I appreciate about you. Honestly, regardless of what folks say, I'll say right now, the reason why we built the hopeful majority, the reason why we built Bridge is because I think it's a fundamental bet on giving people a chance to be better. And I think you have the humility to at least take that. So let me ask you from this standard standpoint, you know, I think that 
it's important for our country to grow. I think it's important for us as individuals to be restored. I think it's important for us to fight for a future where our kids do better than ourselves. Why do you think you at this age, at this specific moment, are the person to deliver that? Why you? So I think my heart is filled with gratitude for this country right now. I have lived, honestly, a life that is better than the one that our parents could have ever imagined for us, better than the ones that now we can go back to the, your use of the word right, better than one that I have a right or a claim to say that that had to be mine. And a big part of that is this country gave it to me. This country gave us that opportunity. And now that I'm a parent, I am passionate about making sure that my kids and their generation can live in a country even greater than the one that I've lived in. But I think the thing that's missing is a vacuum in all of our hearts. It's a vacuum of identity and purpose and meaning. At a time in our national history, right? And, and, and yes, faith or patriotism or hard work, when those things have disappeared, I think I have a vision of what it takes to fill that void with our vision of what it actually means to be an American. And I do not see people in traditional politics, either on the right or the left, filling that vacuum with, either you could fill it with poison, you know, race and gender and sexuality and other genetically inherited divisive tribal characteristics, or we can fill it with not our diverse attributes, but what unites us across our diversity, which I think still exists in this country. And that's a vacuum and, and a missing element that I saw in our politics in this particular presidential race. Everyone else is running from something, from some other enemy. I am aiming to lead us to something. And you've got that vision that you think people can deliver on. I'm being very cognizant of our time because I know you're in Columbus and I can only imagine being on the trail. You get very little time with your family. So I'm cognizant of that. I got last thing for you. Right now we've got thousands of young people that are going to campuses this semester advocating for a better discourse, a better dialogue. Now, in fact, these are really ideologically strong-minded students. And you've got everybody from uh, students on the right to the left to all over the middle and with mixed identities and mixed groups. What empowers me and gives me the hope to keep doing my thing is because I think the United States is probably the most ambitious experiment in the history of humanity. We've got 330 million people, all of whom look different than each other, trying to make it happen. And might you say, we're also a heavily armed society. That is a fascinating problem set and also an opportunity. When you're going to bed at night and campaign day is over and you know, you're consuming the news and the dread of the next day comes in in terms of the things that you'll have to react to, but then also the opportunity. Like what brings you that excitement? What gives you the motivation to be on that road all the time, being out there and you're taking a lot of flack from people, but you think that you believe in what you stand for? What gives you that sort of uh, sense hmm. of motivation and self to do it? And it's a you question know, I'd it, asked Andrew Yang. We had him on a couple of weeks ago and it's something yeah. that I'm always curious about as a young person. It's like, what gives you that? Because it is hard. It's hard, man. It's a hard, it's, that's a hard question to answer. I think some, in some ways I find myself at my best not analyzing that like I'm a lab subject, but more just looking inward and asking myself, what's that sense of purpose, right? And, and I think for me, it does derive from faith a little bit. And so this gets into, you know, not to say that everybody in this country to find their own passion has to believe in God, but I do. And I think that God put us, each of us here for a purpose. 
I think that it's not always being done by us. It is being done through us. And I do believe that our best days, both in our individual lives and in our national lives, can still be ahead of us. And so I guess when you start with that view, you're automatically guided to follow, okay, hey, I've been endowed with certain skills. Other people have been endowed with different skills. Let me use those skills towards whatever way I can help realize that purpose of a better life for myself and a better life for the nation that I was born into. And so I guess it's that sense of being called by a purpose rather than being driven by some personal objective that gives me motivation in this stage of my life. And that's different, right? During a phase in my life where at the age of 22, I went on to start, you know, joined a hedge fund, went on to become an entrepreneur. There I was motivated. And, and there's nothing wrong with that motivation too, to get ahead through capitalism, to win, to be competitive, to be able to accumulate wealth that having grown up in a family that did not have immense amounts of wealth. And I think that there are different phases of your life where you're motivated by different things. And I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the and phase of life phase, I'm in. That's is, what you're motivated is, by. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so if I'm talking to a young person, I, it doesn't mean that I, I would preach that that has to be your sense of motivation. It could be very different, but just look inward instead of trying to analyze yourself from the outside and just be guided by whatever's driving you most to do something productive. Follow that more and don't inauthentically pretend like it's going to be something else. In my early 20s, it wasn't principally a motivation of serving this country that moved me. And if I pretended like that's what it was, I might've been less effective at doing the things that I was doing. But nor is it now some capitalist hat that I'm wearing to do what I'm doing now, because that would make me less effective at probably being the next president. So I think there's a time and place for everything. And if we're honest about that, I think you're able to accomplish a lot more. You know, I think the the purpose of this conversation, I could already hear the listener saying like, but there's this entire iceberg of policy that you haven't even gotten into. I mean, Vivek sounds awesome on all this stuff, but they can go so many other places. Frankly, what I'm more interested in is the people that are running, because I think the person matters a lot in this moment. And I know that we're we're almost at time. I would just tell you that I think people are aspiring and, and young people, old people, wherever, the, it doesn't matter who they are. I think people just want leaders that are working for them. And I think the question is really whether or not that's the agenda and the way that we're approaching this conversation. And I look forward to many more conversations. Uh, I've got so many other questions I could ask you, but I'm holding myself. And I appreciate you thinking that there is a hopeful majority of people out there that are not necessarily divided on left, right, but are divided by a vision for just wanting to be able to live in a world where they do better than, than their parents and their family. Yes, yes. And that their parents want that for their kids and can hope on good authority to hope that their kids will get there. And I think- Where are you headed next? I think What's will. going next? Where are you going uh, we've next? Got, we've got a couple of, uh, in, I'm, I'm rarely here with the team at the campaign headquarters. Uh -huh. So I'm going to go to a team meeting now. Are, are the campaign uh, headquarters at home? No, no, they're, they're at this office. Uh, gotcha. You're in an office. I'm in an office. Yeah, yeah. So this is sort of our, uh, you know, podcast, podcast studio within the office. So I'm going to go have a meeting with the team and then I'll be Appreciate off to you. Iowa tonight, actually. I'm Thank you for your time and thanks for joining the Hopeful Majority. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Vivek, for joining the Hopeful Majority. Thank you for listening. If you liked that conversation, remember, all support is welcome. We've got a Hopeful Majority to build. If you didn't like that conversation, remember, you can leave comments, you can critique, you can go to Twitter, you can go to social media because we're trying to build a space, not where we can all kumbaya get along, but where we can have healthy, productive disagreements and importantly, understand the people that are trying to lead us. Understand why. 
actually get to the core understanding and reasonings for our political leaders, because that is how we build a democracy that actually is focused on us, the people. So I appreciate you joining every Monday. Remember YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content. I'll see you next week. And importantly, we're going to have other presidential candidates on. All your suggestions are welcome. Thank you for joining. Thank you for the support. Let's build that majority. You and I together.